Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast, Ask the Expert Edition. I'm Andy Hebel, the Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs. And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. Today's Ask the Expert question from our listener is, how can I move from being an individual contributor in structural technology and design into a management role when a formal track doesn't exist for such movement at my university? Chris, what are your thoughts on this question? Well, you know, this is an often asked question where people are looking for ways to kind of grow and increase their scope of responsibility. I think that's kind of innate in all of us, right? We want a promotional path, a career path, and growth is always a part of that idea. The challenge is that not every organization has a formal methodology to do so, and it could be for a variety of reasons. One is that some organizations are just too small to have enough management layers that they would want to create a program. And then another reason might also be they don't have the desire to have a formal management program to help people move up because of their talent philosophy. Some organizations think it's a free agent market where we go out and find the best talent available and we therefore don't spend as much time and effort in developing internal resources for future openings. So it could be a variety of reasons why a formal management program doesn't exist. So given that, I think the best advice is always that one should assume the responsibility as their own kind of career planner and plan to grow and find future opportunities, whether or not their institution has a program to do so. If you're lucky as an individual, you have a manager who sees that talent in you and develops a program for you as an individual, but that's not always the case. And so therefore, everyone must be their own career planner. Having said that, jobs become available, particularly leadership jobs, in a variety of ways. And so your planning should include how to negotiate that sort of environment. So for example, sometimes positions are not announced or advertised where there's an opening and a senior manager says to a subordinate, hey, I'm going to put you in this job as an interim assignment where we look for someone. And maybe if you do a good job, they don't actually go out. Or they can intentionally put you in a job just to see how you might do. So there's a lot of opportunities there. And then a third thing happens, which is sometimes that senior person says, hey, Kelly is pretty sharp. She's doing a lot of great work. And I don't want her to leave, <laughs> you know, and if she's thinking about growing her career and doing something else, I want to preempt that and create an opportunity for her to grow right here. Right. So it becomes kind of a test in all of those situations. It says there are opportunities that could come about at any point in time. So therefore, it would be smart for me to prepare myself so I'm a candidate for each of those situations. So if I do certain things, then a person may say, hey, Chris you know, might want to grow. We want to keep him here. And he's been preparing himself. I've noticed that. Or, you know, Kelly has volunteered to do these kinds of things. So when there is an opening, we're going to give her a shot. So the whole point about this is don't be dependent upon others for your own career progression. That advice came to me early in my career. I can remember being an ACE fellow, Kelly, and one of the gentlemen, I can't remember his name. I wish I did because I've quoted him often. He, I think he was president of Charleston Southern or one of the schools out in Charleston, maybe Columbia. I can't remember the name of it. It escapes me right now. But he talked about earlier in his career, when he got ready to go for a doctorate, 
his institution was going through a budget crunch and they got rid of that budget line to send people away because, you know, they were laying off people or the economy was bad or whatever the case may be. He goes, but I knew that I needed to do that. So I enrolled anyway, and I just decided to pay my way. And so he paid for half the way. And eventually the tuition reimbursement came back. But he said that made all the difference in my career, because when I got ready to be promoted, you know, I could be promoted on track. And I became a president much, much earlier because I'd gotten that degree. So that's good advice. Take responsibility. Don't assume that the organization is going to do it because it may or may not for a variety of reasons over a period of time. So having said that, the question is, how do I do that? I'm going to own it. Now I got to go do it. Now, there are many different ways of doing it. There's some informal things and some formal things. And there's some on-the-job things. And there's some off-site things and professional development. So little things like webinars and workshops, of course, on the low end of the spectrum. And then on the high end of the spectrum is things like professional certifications or degrees. And the person who asked this question was from an IT background. And so the certifications really matter. The example there might be technology is changing all the time. Leaders exhibit certain kinds of behaviors, such as they have an innate desire to solve problems, create solutions. They don't have to be told. And simply by asking the question, what can I, should I do to grow my career, build my skills and seek opportunity is a management perspective, right? So that person's got a head start. They're thinking ahead. That's a leadership attribute. So the person who says, well, technology is changing and I'm going to stay abreast of technology and I'm going to go seek a certification or I'm going to learn about something or I'm going to recommend to my leadership that we adopt some new technology that I've been researching about that fits our environment, says to me, that's the kind of person I want to promote. <laughs> you know, That person is exhibiting those kinds of things that make a difference. So I own it and I'm preparing myself both informally and or formally depending on the circumstance. Every profession will be different. Every institution's ability to fund those things will be different, but those are ways of doing it. Now on the job, obviously there's many opportunities as well, such as volunteering to serve on a committee or task force, or even volunteering to plan the Christmas party. Planning is a leadership attribute. Showing initiative is a leadership attribute. So there are all kinds of formal and informal ways that one can go about thinking of ways to prepare themselves for the future. The other thing I would say is the classic definition of management is directing, organizing, planning, and controlling. That's kind of an old school 20th century version. The 21st century version would probably put more emphasis on the people part and leading others and you know organizing and working with people. So I would say attend to both sides of that working with others, as well as building skills on preparing and planning for the future and, and kind of thinking what they would say is around the corner, right? That's what leaders do. And one last analogy that will bring that to life. I've always said with the deputies I work with, I always said that my job was to be the HR guy of tomorrow and my deputies, his or her job was to be the HR person of today, the operations, the things that need to be done. Because when tomorrow comes, people need to know what to do, right? You know, they need to be prepared for tomorrow. They need to be meeting some objectives. And if you haven't prepared for that, then people show up at today, not really equipped to do great work. So leadership is about, quote, inventing the future. 
So leaders have to think ahead. And the person who asks this question should be applauded because they're thinking ahead. I agree. And I, I there are so many points that resonated with me. And I want to actually add on a question to this original question. When you said that people should not assume that things are going to just you know work out and there's going to be a formal management program. And you also said that someone has to be their own career planner yeah. and don't depend on others. So I realize this question is about someone who is actually already working at the institution. But can we maybe give a little nod to job yeah. seekers who might be in that interview? Is this an appropriate question to ask? Do you have a formal management program? Yeah. I think that's a great question. I think that's a great question because you're absolutely right. At some point, everyone has to step up to the next level of leadership, right? If they're moving, whether it's inside the organization or outside. So as a job seeker, in a very general way, I always advocate that you need at least three indicators that you can do a job because three is a pattern. So whatever that is, it has to be three, quote, performance indicators. A degree is obviously an indicator and experience, exposure, some training or whatever. So there's a whole lot of different ways one can gain those, quote, performance indicators. Now, in a leadership space, it's probably a little harder to find what those are. But some of the things that we talked about get you there. Some other things include things like volunteering, what you do in the community or at your church or whatever the case may be. Volunteer assignments can also give one exposure to, quote, leadership. And then, as we said before, chairing a search committee would be a good example. So any activities that move you in the direction of doing that. So job seekers, if they're trying to get a promotion to a management position, I've been an IT professional, I've been a student affairs professional, I've been a, you know admissions counselor, or I've been in institutional effectiveness, and I've been an analyst or a professional. Now I want to be the supervisor. The question is, how do I prepare myself? Now, the, the, the interesting thing about it is that uh, being a great analyst and being the associate director or assistant director are fundamentally two different jobs, right? I mean, we, we, we think being a great salesperson or a great admissions person is preparation for leadership. And it's really not, right? Because leadership is a, another profession and it's directing, organizing, planning, controlling, and leading people. It's not analyzing the data. Because a lot of times you can even get leaders who don't have domain-specific knowledge. We see that all the time with, say, a president from outside of higher ed or outside of an industry. So it goes back to the things we said before. What will you do to prepare yourself for that leadership position? And all those previous things apply, which is education, volunteer, and exposure, things that related to planning and, and working for the future. Another thing might be writing point papers for leaders that shows that you are trying to solve problems and you know, no one asked you to do it, but you saw a problem and you go tackle that problem. That's preparation for leadership, right? Not waiting to be told. So leaders show initiative, they take responsibility and things like that. I think that's so wise to kind of come at it from that perspective, Chris. I just kind of want to address one small part of this listener's question and maybe offer it as kind of a little bit of an amendment to the wonderful advice you received as an ACE fellow. And that's, I know a number of folks in the wonderful area of instructional technology and design. And I think it's going to talk a little bit about where you may like your content area, but there's just a handful of people in that area. There's going to be yep. one manager. And that one manager may have been there yep. for a number of years. 
I would probably offer the amendment of don't let the institution dictate what your career path is either. If they want you to be a manager and they're saying, you know, maybe you should go look in this other related area yeah. to where you're at and manage there because they want to retain you. That's great. That's a that's actually a great institution that wants to do that. But if you're very passionate about what you do and you want to keep doing it in this area, sometimes finding another institution or finding another path within your organization to do what you do better or in a different way. Yeah. Balance what you want in your career. It's okay if you don't want to move into a management role and the leadership wants you to. Yeah. Being in development and particularly being in plan giving as to where I started my career, I know that's a challenge for a lot of plan giving officers out there that are very good at what they do and probably can manage very well. But they like working with the donors they work with. They don't necessarily want to do management responsibilities outside of the plan giving area. They don't want to switch institutions for personal reasons or fulfillment reasons. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I hear so many people who have left something that they're truly passionate about and fit with their career path and their self-identity and their their life purpose to go for that next level because they thought that that's what the moment called. Yeah. Figure out what you want. Don't let the moment calling dictate where you go. Yeah, I, I think that's wise. And, you know, some professions have it easier in allowing that to happen because they tend to be more technical and it's called a dual career ladder. It's kind of like, do I want to be a scientist or a technician at a higher level, or do I want to move into management? Those are two different ways of growing, but quite frankly, there are two different ways of growing your salary as well, right? So they they tend to be kind of correlated. So then the question is, should that technician who really didn't want to work with people, right, but they know in order to, you know, get more responsibility and more income, they got to go into management. That's usually kind of a bad arrangement because, as you said, they're not following their passions and really what they want to do. Faculty actually have it well because faculty is an example. They get to go from assistant associate to full professor. So they have a career ladder. And if they want to do the management part, they become a, you know, a division chair and a dean and things like that. So their profession provides an organic way of doing it, right? But at the same time, one of my jokes used to be, I mean, I saw a whole lot of college presidents, and it's true, uh, who are like English professors, right? <laughs> so because in the humanities, the growth potential for salaries is much, much lower than it is for law, business, engineering, things like that. So those folks, you know, tend to kind of go that way. And as you know, sometimes they are reluctant people managers. I so echo on the faculty side. And one of the things I love is the departments that say, you know, you can be chair more than once, but it's two years and there needs to be two or three terms between it, that the leadership is being passed around, that when you get to be a leader, you get to have a little bit more responsibility. You get to learn what it's like to be a leader, but then you can go back to being a member of the team. That's such a great way to develop leadership. And sometimes- in some of those smaller administrative departments, I wonder if that sort of role might be better. I've not seen a model that works like that, but I've wondered out loud, like that could be something as a profession, as institutions grow. Right. What about the rotating leadership role from a group of peers? I think that's a, a wonderful idea. So Yeah, I, I think it's a cool idea because it would create capacity across individuals on a team. So imagine having a team where multiple people know what it's like to be a leader and the responsibilities and you know how to work together. I mean, I think that would make a lot of sense. When I was a Marine officer, that's how officers were trained. But we used to call it a spear evaluation, you know, instead of peer evaluation, because 
the leadership assignments and training rotated. One day you were just a foot soldier, Marine type person. Then the next thing you're a squad leader. The next week you're like a company commander. You get to sitting all the different chairs. And so you learn followership as well as leadership. And it's indispensable because that means that any of us could take control at any time. But we also knew what that person who was sitting in the chair was doing their responsibilities, their successes or whatever, because we've been there. And so then you could really help one another out in a fundamental way. It's good for organizations. But here's the reason I think why organizations don't do it. It's because of the economics, right? And it goes back to what happens when a person takes on more responsibility, you're going to give them more pay. It's really hard to take back pay, right? And then the other thing I learned when I came to Virginia, (laughs) it's kind of interesting where I learned that the retirement system created perverse incentives. So because the retirement pay was based upon the highest three years of salary. So there's some faculty who would say, I want to be division chair or dean for three years because that's going to give me, say, you know, so assume I made, you know, make an even number, $100,000. Now I'm going to make $133,000, right? But when you go back to the $100,000, you are going to retire at the $133,000, right? So some people only wanted for three years to affect their multiple because if I stayed a professor, you know, I'm going to go from 100 to 105 or whatever. I'm never going to get to the 133 because it was, it was actually two factors. It wasn't just the extra money. It was 12 months salary versus nine months salary and then a multiple. You see what I'm saying? So it's wow. a really big thing. Yeah. So then it became people who I'm going to be here for three years and peers are like, Mike is only going to do this for three years. <laughs> right. And he's really not going to take on any big, <laughs> you know, major problems because he's going to retreat back to the faculty. So that's why in hiring, you know, there's an interesting dynamic that challenges that, even though I think that's probably a smart organizational tool to prepare people to serve effectively as a group. But, you know, somebody needs to work on that. That's a good uh, uh, dissertation for somebody, <laughs> you know, all terms. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Chris. That's a a wonderful, wonderful conversation on a fantastic question. If you're the person who sent that in, kudos on just a great, great question that I think applies to, to all of us as we look at our careers and look at our career paths. Thanks, Chris, for joining us today. My pleasure. Take care, Chris. If you have a question for one of our experts, please feel free to email us at podcast at higheredjobs.com or tweet us at higheredjobs. We'd love to share your questions with our experts. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.